0: This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode of Ready or Not is brought to you by Mama Miller, creators of genuinely leak-proof bralettes and camis that almost look too good to be as practical as they are. Welcome back to the Postpartum Diaries. I'm Lucinda, this is part three and this week I sit down with my good friend and doula Charlotte Squires. If the title of this episode didn't make it abundantly clear, I didn't really know what to call it. It feels a little bit like a therapy session with one of the wisest people I know. It's definitely a conversation between two friends about parenting in general. It's almost a postpartum in review where I share everything that I learned from being looked after by Charlotte, who I will refer to as La, and where she shares her reflections about caring for me, but also about her work in general, about why it's so hard for us to accept help and how we get better at doing so. From the conversations to have with your partner before postpartum and the return to paid work, to the unexpected emotions that come from going from one to two children. Here, we cover a lot of ground. I'm Lucinda, and it's fitting that I am sitting here once more in my Mamma Miller cami. That gets me through feeding without the leaks during any interviews, recordings, edits, reviewing episodes, publishing episodes, you name it, this cami has got me through it all. You can shop the incredibly thoughtful collection by going to mama-miller.com. That's mama spelled M-U-M-M-A. Now let's get into it. This is the Postpartum Diaries with Charlotte Squires. Charlotte, I will call you La a lot in this conversation because I have known you since we're about 13, I want to say, maybe even earlier, we danced together a few times a week. So there's some context for anyone that feels like we're a little bit more intimate than your average doula client relationship. You don't have to be this close to your doula by the end (laughs) of it, I promise. So there's a bit of context. But before we get into it, I want to lay a bit of groundwork for what a session with a doula is like. So I engaged you for four postpartum sessions and basically the way they would run is the day before you'd give me some meal ideas, you'd create a list of ingredients. I would tick off what I do and don't have. I would get very excited for all the delicious things you were going to cook me. And then you arrive like the angel that you are at my front door with all your trinkets, gadgets, all your food shopping, And basically, you just come in and we start having great conversations. You're getting the cooking underway. At some point, you all of a sudden have like a tea and your first snack in front of me. And I don't know how you do it so quickly. And then we're chatting along. You continue cooking. You package all my food up perfectly for the fridge and the freezer for the week ahead. Literally a week's worth of food for me. And opening the fridge is like the best thing in the world (laughs) after having a doula arrive. And then we did a few different things. You'd either give me a foot rub and a foot soak and a shoulder massage, or you'd give me a facial. I'm trying to think, what else did we do? We had like a castor oil pack, yep. pack which maybe you can explain what that is because I don't totally. even know,
1: to be honest. There was just complete trust.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, this is good. I know this is good for me. And basically in amongst all of that, if there was a load of washing that I'd finished, you would insist I stay on my ass and you would hang that out. Mm-hmm. If there was a load of drying or clothes on the clothes rack outside that you could see were dry, you would fold them and put them away. You would put away any dishes that were drying on the rack away. You're just basically a fairy godmother. That's what a doula is to me, real life angel. And my first question for you is something that I thought of quite early in the piece of our doula sessions together, which is that you walk into so many different settings and I want to know what you're looking for first to then, I guess, craft how
1: you're going to approach your client. That's such a good question because obviously there's so many doulas out there and they all would look at this, answer this question so differently, but I think for the most part we as doulas or doulas are looking for kind of the, all the little details that reveal what's been happening the past week or what's been happening the last 24 hours. Cause as we know, hour by hour is pretty different when you're caring for a newborn, you never know what's coming and you never know, you know, what's going to be asked of you in the next moment. And so you can walk into a home one week and it can be like, Oh my God, we've had such a good night. And you can really feel the energy of that relief that, you know, there was some s- decent sleep blocks. There was Um, A baby that is latching really well and everyone's feeling happy and content. And I usually notice that this is in the first two weeks when there are the two parents around. And then naturally, as the weeks go on, there's different stuff that comes up. So I'm always looking for the demeanor. I think everyone kind of puts on the happy face when you first throw, hey. But ultimately, there is always more under the surface, usually when there's so many hormones flying around and leveling out. And i think most people know that i'm there for the real talk i think that's often why they hire me as the you know the individual that's just what i'm interested in i want to talk about the real stuff i want to be there about that emotional support and help with the integration of this new child and this new life and this new version of you so i'm looking at like what does the house look like what does it look like i can see that's gone down sometimes i can see that school drop offs and you know getting ready for school has happened sometimes i can see that There's no clean, there's only, the laundry is full and it looks like no one's got clean clothes. So I'm like, right, that's a focus today. I always am curating the sessions. Also, sometimes I know. So sometimes a message will be sent like in the days leading up or we'll have a conversation be like, this is kind of what's been going on, just so you know. I also kind of prioritize of what's most important. If feeding is really challenging for somebody, then we obviously take time within that three hour session to really make sure that we, you know, talk that through, prioritize the support that that person's needing in that moment. But really, I'm looking for like all the little secret, like energy that most people walking into that space with an untrained, eye probably wouldn't notice. I don't kind of do the airs and graces where I like do the baby, ooh ooh Guga. I mean, I always comment on the beautiful baby because like, hello, how can you not? But I'm really looking for the energy of the person, the energy of the space. There's so much that can be revealed in the, the, the unsaid's. So that's kind of my focus when I first walk into a space It's like, what's going on here and what's the emotional heaviness and energy of this space?
0: So then a question without notice and answer it honestly. Yeah. What did you notice walking into my space? Well, one, I noticed that
1: you were quite calm, which I, I like, I think when you move from one to two children, it, that's not given the the sense of calm. In most of our sessions, though, Ray was not there. So that could have been also. The (laughs) one that he was there, I actually, that was probably one of the sessions that made me the most emotional, like watching you care for your two kids. I'll get emotional talking about now because (laughs) it was just so... Posey was only, I think, two weeks old when that session happened. It was just so beautiful watching how much you had already grown, your capacity had already grown to be able to care for these two children at once. Like... You had one hand on posy while she was in the little nest and then you're playing with Ray and I just watching you laugh and enjoy him in that moment was just so Beautiful. I'm too bloody clucky, man. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't believe
0: it's not me crying. I think it's because I can't take a compliment. (laughs) If it's said about me,
1: I won't cry. If it's said about anyone
0: else, I'll cry. No,
1: but it is. It was just so like, wow, look at her doing a thing. That made me really excited and and happy for you that, you know, I I know that you've always wanted more than one child anyway, but it was just really lovely to see that. What
0: about emotional heaviness? Because I can't I can't publish an episode where you're only saying nice things about me. I'll be too uncomfortable.
1: (laughs) I think what I noticed how hard it was for you to receive. Yes. I definitely noticed how uncomfortable. And I think that's layered because we have a relationship as well. But I could could tell I had to keep giving you permission to take from me which I think was hard because you're so considerate of like, you have kids, you eat something, you have, you know, and I was like, Luce, no, that's not what I'm here for. It's my joy, (laughs) it's my pleasure to do this for you. And I think I really wanted you to see how much I love my job and how much this brings me joy to care for you. And I made a special note to, to kind of let you receive because I, yeah, I just, and I do this for most people I work with because for most of us it's very hard to, receive care when we're the primary carers. And so, it yeah, it brings up a lot of different shit for people when they're, and I could see that that was coming up for you. Yeah, I definitely find that uncomfortable. Yeah. I noticed when your mum arrived, you were kind of like making like, you know, oh God, how lucky am I? How ridiculous, you know? And it's like, no, you're completely allowed to, this is, you're so deserving after all you've been through birthing this beautiful baby, you know, you're still deep in recovery mode. I, was very aware that you were like, Oh God, this is, I'm so lucky. I'm so privileged. I was like, yeah, we can look at it that way. Or we can look at like, I'm really worthy. That's a beautiful
0: message. Do you find, I feel like I may have got slightly better towards the end at accepting help. Do you find that's a common thread with your clients that you see more than once? Definitely.
1: And that literally brings me so much joy because I think what I'm always like, you have to find your why, why are you calling in this support? And it ultimately always circles back around to, like, when I get nourished, when I get supported, it has a ripple effect on everyone I love who lives in this house. And so we really realized, like, I think I published a blog post, like, three or four years ago, and it was, like, why selfish, a selfish postpartum is not so selfish. Like, it's yes. one of the most selfless things you can do. And I think people misconstrued that sometimes a little bit, like, what do you mean selfish? It's not selfish. I'm, like, no, that's what I'm saying. It's not selfish because it it's actually a complete investment investment in your entire network and community there's a question in my postpartum planning session that's like what is the benefit of you doing this for you for your family for your friendship circle and for your community because i don't think we've realized how much investing in us has this wave and ripple effect the amount of people especially even in your friendship group one person employed me but employed a doula and then another one gave it permission it was like this permission roll-on effect of like well if you can have it why can't i have a doula then so it's a bit it's bigger than just you. Do you think people struggle then more
0: of the sense of thinking that they can invest that money on themselves or invest the
1: time on themselves? What do you think it is more? Or do you think it's a bit of both? It's both. And I think it's particularly, I would say it just depends on like the financial aspect of like if they feel like they don't contribute enough financially, I think that's when it can get real sticky, which is so ridiculous. As you and I know, I know both of us are quite passionate about this because no one's not working. But the other part of it, I think, is depending on where and how you've been raised, it there can be a lot of like kind of unwritten rules that you've felt and be projected onto you and you've kind of, they're so deep in ourselves that it is deeply uncomfortable. It's like you could, there's almost this voice internally of like somebody else's voice definitely being like, this is so not okay for you to stop and receive this care. It is not safe for you to even do that, you know? It's
0: so deeply ingrained, isn't it? Yeah. When I asked that question about that, people do tend to get better with accepting help. Yeah. Obviously in the work of a doula, we're not looking at sort of KPIs or like this is your success (laughs) and we'll give you a bonus if you achieve these goals type thing. But if you were to, I guess, articulate what success looks like to you as a doula, what would it be? I imagine it's enabling people to feel more comfortable asking for help.
1: Mhm. What else is it? Oh, that is so such an interesting question. I love that question. I've never ever thought about this. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like when I see something because every everyone has their own individual challenges. So, yeah. Because I get to know people in such an intimate setting, I can see wins for them that Again, to the untrained eye, that would look like a win, but I make very special effort often to be like, I saw that. I saw what you did in that moment. I'm celebrating you in that. And sometimes that looks like having a conversation that would be really easy and effortless for one person and incredibly terrifying for another. That could look like, uh, you know, choosing to ask for that care or support from another family member, not just from me as the doula, or it could look like pushing work back to start work an extra couple of months. Like it could be all these different things that pre that baby would have been absolutely incomprehensible to even, you know, ask that or do that or make that even statement, you know? So sometimes if the little wins are like someone acknowledging I'm feeling this way and I need to step out for a second. That is a huge win. Sometimes it looks like reparent, like a moment of reparenting themselves and showing up for their child in a different way because they were able to do that for themselves. So I wouldn't say that it's something that I could pinpoint exactly, but I often can see when somebody has had aha moments, I think are a big one where I'm like, ah, oh, something just locked in for them and made them realize that they can take a step in a new direction. That feels really exciting. And even something feels more possible for them that they before couldn't have even, yeah, conceptualised for themselves.
0: Almost like your job then is to hold space for people to
1: be able to figure out their own stuff when it comes to parenting. For me, that is how I work and that is absolutely what I see my role as. is like holding the safe space to like hold the mirrors up. Like I'm not there to tell you what to do. Sure, I can show you how to bath your kid and like, you know, give you tips and pointers on how to hold your baby while you're feeding or how to side life feed. Sure. Or what foods to eat in postpartum. But what I'm really there in the deeper is like teaching you how to trust yourself, trust your instincts, particularly like one of my favorite things is seeing that in a first time mom. You know, there's so much information coming at them that's like, I've been told basically I don't know what I'm doing. And then I come in and go, well, Hank, has anybody asked you what you think? Has anybody asked you kind of what your instinct is telling you in this moment? And a lot of the time, they go, I don't think I have instincts. I'm like, yeah, because it's learning and it's just like slowing it all down and being like, yeah, I'm I, I'm working with a client at the moment. And it is just every time I see that all has been right, I just keep showing it back. I mean, like, see what you did there? Looks little to everybody else, but that's big that you just saw to act in that way to do that. So it's that's massive for some people.
0: I love what you just said there too, because I think one of the biggest things in parenting is those small things that seem really little, but are huge. I was thinking the other day how sort of the logistics of making work work as a parent, the success or achievement for me is more in like getting the two kids out the door than the actual goals I hit at work. Like the harder bits are those tiny little moments in parenting that you've seen people do for 30 or so years depending on your age and they just seem normal but they're actually huge yes so I think that's so important that you touched on that because there's so much there's so much power in those little moments
1: and there's so much that we should celebrate in them absolutely there's a beautiful book called what mothers do when no one's watching uh, by Naomi Stadlin. and it I, I get a lot of clients to read it because it starts to value our care work and there is a lot of lack of value in care work is rife, and so that really starts with us starting to value the actions and and the the work that we do every single day. And it, again, that has that ripple effect. And I really believe that if when we start valuing ourselves, showing our kids that there's value in the work that we do, and we have pride in in the the care work that we do, in providing parenting, it again just shows the world that like this deserves focus, this deserves energy, this deserves money, this deserves support and structures, and all the kind of things that yeah, really do change the world for the better long-term. And so we've written down questions for each
0: other here. I'm still basically on the first one, even though I said, we'll try and keep this quick because we're both busy. You can imagine our sessions. I know, seriously. (laughs) Luckily they go for longer than an hour because I don't think I'd let you out the door if they didn't. (laughs) So I will go to the next question, which is staying on theme, but how do you find helping new parents who don't know how to ask for help or feel like they are a burden? I imagine over the years you've gotten better at how to navigate that. What are you doing when you walk into a room with
1: someone that's totally uncomfortable with you helping them? I think it comes back to helping them connect to the why. Why is it important that you stop and slow down right now? And we do quite a bit of work when that comes up, looking at kind of whose voice is telling you that it's not okay to sit down. Where did that stem from? And we really go back and talk and like kind of agitate and interrogate that voice and be like, why does that sit there? And I'm not a counselor, but I have social work background. So that's something that I feel really comfortable doing in a safe and trauma-informed way. But I would assume that not everybody would feel comfortable going about those conversations, but I do and I know when it's out of my scope and kind of go, okay, I think, you know, and most often than not, a lot of people I support are already seeing sites or counsellors anyway. So, it, And we talk about that in the pre-planning of the postpartum planning session. Like we create the little black book, like who are all the people that you might need to call on in your postpartum? Often they don't need to call on everyone, but it, there's that kind of immediate like speed dial list that if you need them, that's there. But when someone's really resisting the help and you know, I can see that it's just deeply uncomfortable, or there's you know a resistance or a wall there. I just I'm really gentle with it and really you know conscious. And sometimes I will call it out, and I think that makes it if like a little bit there's a bit of space there and a little bit of breathing room to be like, Oh, you can see me. Yes, often those people just want to be seen and be like, Oh, okay, and then there's that permission. You're allowed to receive this. I'm comfortable giving this to you. And sometimes I have to establish that multiple times for people to really soften into that. But that can also feel really unsafe for some people that have never, like most people say, I've never let anyone look after me. And it's in so scary to let someone look after me because what if I fall apart? So it's it's this is really big. I think, you know, some people can think that, you know, getting a doula is so surface level and it's all just you know
0: or like so luxurious like sometimes when I've said my doula I'm like who do I think I am saying my (laughs) doula you know which it shouldn't be like that but society has perhaps made me feel that way like I've got this luxurious thing and I think that my recovery is harder than everyone else's, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And it often circles back to like our relationship with our parents and the ways in which we were asked to grow up as kids or like how maybe some, for some people I've cared for mother, mothers who actually their their mothers aren't with us anymore. And so kind of supporting them through receiving, that can bring up a lot of grief being nurtured and mothered, you know. There's so many different unique experiences where, there's resistance to the care and, and but often I know that like, you've got me here. So you know that this is important and you actually want this. Yes. You've ripped off the first Band-Aid by having me here. Exactly. So that gives me the permission to kind of go a little deeper and be like, it's okay. I'm going to, I'm here. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support you. Of course it takes, I, I always say like, it takes two to tango. Yes, there's the giver, but the receiver has to do their job too in actually taking it on and receiving it. And I really give them the power and kind of like, you're the receiver. Take like receivership is an action. You have to actively join this relationship with me. It's like, help me help you. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So if we flip that to a friend walking into another friend's home just for a visit, but they're trying to help while they're there, they care about this person greatly. They do anything for them. The friend knows this, but they're still going to find it hard to accept that help, even though they did the same six months prior when that friend was the new mum. Mm-hmm. What tip would you give to the friend trying to help the other? I love this question. It's so practical. When you're not the doula, you know, you're
1: just the everyday person that's not trained in this regard. Yes. Okay. So my biggest thing is tell them what you're going to do and then go, will that be helpful? Or... What time can I drop that off? Or I'm driving past the kindy, I can pick up the older kid for you. Pop me on the list, you know, the safety list or whatever, so I can collect them because I know that you know that would be really helpful. I remember when I had blah blah blah, I that was really helpful for me. Or I'm at the supermarket grabbing eggs, milk, flour. Do you need any of those things? I love
0: that. I love that you're itemizing it rather than being like, what do you need? Because it is literally impossible.
1: To even figure out what you need in those because early days. Because at that moment you're thinking, well, I don't know how much time they have. Can they get me like 17 items or they, can they get me two items? I don't know what's appropriate to ask in that moment. And then you go, do you know what? Too hard. I actually, you get pulled away by, a, you know, a crying baby or someone just walks in the door, you know, your partner gets home from work and the moment's gone. Like it's it's. so you need to make it easy like an easy to understand request yes you also kind of don't give a choice it's either a yes or no or a like that kind of response the worst question in this world I absolutely hated this question when I was in my second postpartum is let me know what you need yes I got so much of that and I was like what do I need at that (laughs) moment in time you are responding to every like this newborn baby's needs. It is actually incredibly hard to tune into your own body and being and go, what do I need? And like there's so many layers to that. It's like how oh. deep are we going here? Exactly. <laughs> and you're like, um. And then often when it's a friend who also has children, you're quite conscious of like, well, I don't know how much to take and how much to ask here. My yeah, biggest thing is like this is what I'm doing for you. Will that be appropriate today or tomorrow? Kind of very blanket uh, sorry, not blanket, like direct questions or that need, you know, a very few response. Like, I'm going to be, you know, driving in your neighborhood. I've made some cookies. Could I drop them off? But it was it appropriate to drop them at the door or bring them inside and uh, with a coffee? Easy peasy. And often it is the tiniest little consistent acts that make the biggest impact. I think we think we've got to be there all day. And, you know, that's actually really annoying for someone who's, who's got a baby. Like, it is maximum hour two hours. Obviously when I'm there, I'm like working and like silence is totally okay with me. You know, it's weaving in and out of the wow, spare. you're different. You can stay, you can move in, in
0: fact. <laughs>
1: you know what? Your house is beautiful. I'll move in
0: with you. <laughs> I'm gonna set up the spare room, yeah, take away great. the desk in <laughs> that is the best tip because I cannot emphasize enough how I'm a very a type person in a lot of ways, but in the early postpartum I don't know what I want. Hayden would even say like, what meal out of literally what's already prepared in the fridge do you want yeah. me to heat up? And I'd be like, I don't care. Just feed me. Like, just don't give me steak because you know, I hate steak. Yeah, But otherwise I, I actually can't even make that decision, which I assume is quite like a biological hormonal thing that's meant to happen in that stage because we're totally focused on our baby. But that directness of this is what I'm doing for you. You don't really have choice in if I'm going to do it for you. It's just a matter of
1: when it will work for you and what. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really brilliant tip. And also, when in doubt, just feed the poor person. Like, please, just feed them. That Like, food is everything. To know that there is, like, a snack in the middle of the night or something that is just for you as well, you know, like, oh, it is The best thing in the
0: world. It's so true. And I've been so lucky because I had your support as well as a meal train and as well as really supportive families. I've really not cooked until now and I'm about five and a half weeks postpartum as we're recording this. And I'm starting to get to that phase where I'm like, I do want to contribute a bit and start cooking because Hayden's been doing all the cooking or heating up or whatever. Mm -mm -mm. But I still have food in the freezer. So if he wants something like steak, which he loves and I don't, It's a really easy thing for him to go down and get. And I still am at the stage where I don't have to think about what I want. I've still got food to call on in there and I cannot tell you what a difference it makes. Oh
1: my God, it's amazing.
0: So directness in what you're offering people and food, I think they're brilliant tits. Mm -hmm. Next question is, what did you find the most surprising
1: about your second postpartum or going from one to two? Well, firstly, contextually, I was birthing in two different worlds. I was birthing pre-COVID world and then in the heat of COVID. So very different in regards to like what was accessible and available to me in pro- proper postpartum support. I also had two different birth experiences. I birthed in the hospital for my first and I had a home birth for my second. So I feel like my postpartum properly started the night I got home from the hospital with my first child. I rocked up to my house. I actually came home the same day and my family had cleaned up my house and they'd made a roast dinner. And it was, you know, I got home at like 10 p.m. at night or something, you know, and had the most delicious meal. And it was very, very, very special. And they were all in my tiny, tiny little house. And that was really, really beautiful. Yeah, it was just very, very special. And then the second time around, I felt like my postpartum started the minute my placenta was out because, well, you know, and really that is when it starts. But like, it was literally like I just got whisked into the shower and then taken into my bed. And it was a very different it was a bit like a lot slower and less upbeat and because and in the hospital and it was just a bit more woo, 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 like lots more information coming and lots more chatty and I was high as a kite, And like having to get into a car and all of that stuff to get home. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a bit more like heady whereas I just kind of felt like I was floating in that home birth postpartum space. And and then postpartum-wise my recovery from my second was a bit more intense so I really couldn't stand up for long periods of time for more than feet minutes, 15 minutes was absolute max. Like I really felt that drawing sensation and yeah, my pelvic floor is just a bit rooted after that. So I really needed to slow down. Plus toddler life matched up with newborn life. I was also living in my family home at the time. So there was a lot going on that just felt so different. I felt like I was kind of parenting with an audience a little bit more with my postpartum, like managing multiple needs with like lots of people and lots of energy and lots of it's just to say that like for my toddler there's these invitations happening you know what toddlers are like it's like I'm focused here and then oh what's over there and so I just felt like there were lots of invitations coming for him all the time and I almost couldn't keep up with the invitations with him because I was yes kind of stationary with this little newborn and so I felt very split very quickly I, I really felt the pull in multiple directions
0: it is no joke having two kids. I'm already learning it. It is yeah. <laughs>
1: wild, beautiful, but like wilder than I ever could have imagined. Totally. The honey turns three in July, my second, and watching their relationship is one of the great joys of my life. Like it is truly sublime watching their connection. And I feel so grateful for that. But there were definitely times where I thought, oh, this age cap's a little close. This age cap's a little close. woo <laughs> 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 Because for me, with the first, like with the first, I think I could hold up this facade of this. I still could keep up with all of my friendships. I could was still running my business. I was still making life flow and work. Almost like you've got the kid, then I've got the kid. It's like I was living this double life. Like I still had this autonomy in, in a way. When I had the second, I was like, okay. Like this feels like I just dropped in deep to family life. And I'm not saying that like, you know, for people who decide to only have one child, I I think that's very different, but that's just how I felt. And I definitely felt much more tethered to the family unit. I also didn't have as much confidence. I'd had all this confidence with my first, we could go out here, we could go do this. And then all of a sudden that confidence kind of dropped and my world felt a lot smaller again, because I didn't have the confidence to walk down to the park yet on my own with two kids and a pram and a carrier. And it's all, a really you
0: know, interesting dichotomy, isn't it? Because yeah. you always think you're going to be more confident. But I've been the same. I actually feel overwhelmed at going to the playground. I haven't done it fully on my own. There's always been someone there out, like to get out of the car to either my mum or my dad.
1: Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming. It alarmed me how, how much confidence and how much I didn't really back myself in the skills that I felt like I had just mastered for two years. Yes. And I was like, what? And... I obviously had the background of like my doula work, so I was compassionate towards myself, but I was kind of observing from this way of like, there was a bit of ego there if I'm completely honest of like, but I thought I knew what I was doing here. Like I should know how to handle this or, and I think there were times where I pushed into that and I I think I pushed too far. And so for that, that was like this unraveling of the perfection, the perfect mother for me. The perfect mother myth totally got busted with my second child. And I have to say, three years later, oh god, it's really nice. It was bust that myth. It is like freedom, like yes. And and that's been, you know, and that's where stuff from my childhood came up. All the things like we're such layered, complex human beings, and that has been, yeah, kind of. It was so incredibly challenging moving through it, and it lasted for a lot longer than I probably anticipated or thought it would. It's like when's this gonna chill out for me, you know? But really, the first. 18 months were pretty pretty full on for me personally um and also i think one thing that i didn't expect was how different mine and jack's relationship my partner jack and i our relationship was quite different with the first we were tag team we had each other's back like he was so all over it there for me amazing and then with the second he he was with the toddler we were living like double lives ships in the night yes That is the weirdest thing. You go from almost feeling like a
0: family of three to two families of two. The FOMO I experience every afternoon pretty much. I've Mm -hmm. been a few times. Oh, my God, you'll be able to hear that squawking baby if you're listening. (laughs) The FOMO I feel when Hayden does the right thing by me of keeping Ray out of the house for a bit longer either after daycare or on a day that I have Mm -hmm. them both and takes him to the beach to give me some time with just Posey alone. I didn't anticipate the FOMO of that or feeling like my world is so small. And I I do love being at home with Posey, but all of a sudden being like, oh, you two are living like a pretty normal life. And I'm just tucked
1: away in my room. Yeah. And that led to me in, especially in that first six weeks, I remember my mum kept coming into my room and being like, how are you going darling? Because I really was in bed, flatlined quite a lot. I couldn't sit up for long. Like, My coccyx was out. All the things. It was just not comfortable. That's right. I knew you told me something. I couldn't remember what it was. It was your coccyx. Yeah. And so I couldn't sit up. And I was sitting on like a a blow-up pillow if I wanted to go downstairs for dinner. Like all this stuff. It was just really challenging. And she came in. She's like, are you all right? Like you haven't really cried much yet. And there was this sense of like very calm but almost monotone. Like I was deeply in love with this baby. Like I was quite overwhelmed with how in love I was with this second child because it uh, you know I just didn't know what it was going to feel like falling in love again you know I trusted of course that it would happen but it was very instant this like connection. You can't picture it. Yeah you can't and you know she also looked very different to Rue it was a girl like there was just so much that was going on she's like you know I just thought you'd be more emotional you were much more emotional the first time around I was like yeah I know and then I started to go why am I not emotional like what what's going on but I think it was more just that I was trying to process that they were out there living this life. I was receiving these, you know, photos of them out living their life, having fun, and I was here and I was really happy to be here. I didn't want to be out there, but I think there was a grief that was a bit more a bit more quickly than it was maybe with yes. the first time around. And that, a bit, it took me by surprise. It
0: did it took take me by, by surprise. You basically were inside my brain just then. Another thing that was really surprising for me is, I couldn't have been and still am so happy to be attached to this beautiful baby that I adore. But it was really interesting, a memory would come up of Ray as a newborn and I'd all of a sudden feel nostalgic for that time of my life and wish I could transport back to that. But it's not that I wanted the absence of Posey, it's just this really weird push pull between your babies and
1: navigating that new world of being a mother of two. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that your older child does not stop growing. Yes. And so they're still developing rapidly in front of your eyes and you're like, whoa, like this baby's growing as much. And time speeds up like you, whoa. Yes. The last few years of my life have never gone faster than they have at any other time of my life. So fast. It's wild. So... Yeah. That's a lot to process. Like all of a sudden you're not just taking in all the tiny little details of one, you're taking in these tiny little details of two. And I think that's where just the sensory input is just a, a lot more than, you know, in a beautiful way and in all the challenging ways. Like You're just taking in so much. And this is why going slow is ultimately just such a gift because you can savor it just a little bit more than if you were just straight back into life. You know, you keep reminding me of little things that have come up for me lately.
0: The other one is I didn't feel as touched out when I just had Ray because it was just one. And if Hayden Mm -hmm. wanted a cuddle, I was there to give him a cuddle. Not much sex happened, but maybe a cuddle. (laughs) But this time around, I can tell that he's so cognizant and he's very respectful of the fact that I've got this baby that I'm tending to, but I can tell that Hayden, as in my partner, I'm not talking about my son here, really wants that just connection with me, even just to hold my hand. But I feel less available to give
1: it did you find any of that yes absolutely i think at the start we were sharing we had the we we're in bed together and then eventually i think he moved into like the other room with Rue, and it just felt easier that way and so yeah it was and this is where that ships in the night thing And i think it got to six weeks and and my partner jack came to me and was like i really miss you and i also really want to get to know my daughter i want some i want some postpartum I want some of what you've had. So beautiful. oh want well, what she's having. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I've got to stop quoting movies in this episode. <laughs> and I felt sad for him because I was like, of course you do. And that was something that he was kind of going through. He's like, I didn't. When we... I had such a strong connection with Rue from the minute he came out, and he was kind of like, I want that with her as well. Can I please have some of what you've got? Uh-huh. Like is. So
0: interesting, Hayden has definitely had the same, like when he does have posy, which is so much less because she's such an on-demand feeder, likes being upright, likes being on me. He's often with the toddler mm-hmm. and I almost am taken aback in moments when he's cuddling and kissing her because I'm like, oh, you're not actually getting this. Like I'm almost treating her as my girl and that's our <laughs> boy. Mm-hmm. But with Ray, it was just like you basically held him whenever Together. I could have a break. Yep. It's so fascinating. I haven't thought about that until you
1: said it like that. Yeah, and and for him, because we, we did contact naps, we we did for both of them for like basically I think Ru was 10 months and Honey was like maybe six months. And so he started doing the big like two, three-hour chunks in the afternoon and he'd just sit and hold her and be happy as anything. I think he nearly broke his back because it was like in the most uncomfortable positions for him. That's how my but back's like, feeling now actually. Yeah. <laughs> but he was like nah like that's what I want to do I just want that slowness with her and and at the time he still wasn't working because it was COVID so he was at home a lot so it was really really nice to have him around but boy oh boy when the world started opening up again that was when it hit all over like hit it's like another postpartum yeah blow hit because I was like I was living in a house with like seven adults at one point I think we had and all of a sudden I was like this is all my siblings and my parents and stuff because we all moved in. through She's Got COVID. a million siblings I've and so does Jack, siblings. her partner. <laughs> we just got on his uncles up the wazoo, and so then we had like we had Jack going back to work. My my parents were back at work. My younger sister, you know, was in and out all the time, and then I was at home all of a sudden with no one. And that's when I feel like that real breakdown of the perfect mother, the lack of support, really, really, really hit, and. That was a lot to process for sure. Wow. So with hindsight for someone
0: who's, I guess that's quite a different and unique situation, but if we apply that to a partner returning to work, Mm -hmm. what would be your tips to that mother? You know, it could just be emotional tips. It might be practical tips, anything.
1: I think go slow. I think ripping off too hard too soon and leaving kind of some buffer for like shorter working hours for the partner potentially um, I you mean, know, a working from home situation where there's one day from home if that's the kind of job that they could do at home. Really just trying to slow and build up because I think when you just take on too much too soon, sometimes our our capacity just hasn't met that level that yet. Stage, We're just not yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and this is where that building confidence. Confidence comes from small acts over time, right? You know, you build it, you build it, you build it, you kind of realize it's possible you realize you can do it and then you go oh well if i could do this maybe i could try that you know yeah if i could do the park maybe i could do the supermarket shopping you know and just keep building on that i think on the supermarket thing automate as much as you can like getting groceries dropped off you know doing that or the click and collect like situation i just think is such a i even had my nappies on subscription so it just like i kept just taking off mental load things because and then also having very clear expectations with my partner around what I expected from him, what I needed him to do. And the se- I feel like with the first, I was keeping the house, like that was my job as well as the mothering and, and being the primary carer. Whereas once I had the second, I was like, oh, hang on a second. This is actually way too much for me to take on. I need to ask a bit more of you. Because what was happening is like he would get home from work and then I would do everything else. You know, so he could have the time with the kids and then I would do all the cooking and the, you know, organizing of everything. But then I was also running my business as well. I started back at work just doing virtual stuff, like which was two hour sessions, maybe at around four, three or four months postpartum with Honey. And I really enjoyed that. Actually, that was really a touch point for me for like to connect in with my inner wisdom and inner knowing, which was really beautiful for me. And also everybody I worked with. And a reminder of how to treat yourself too, probably. Oh, God, yeah. It was like live what you preach. Like go, you know, you go and talk about it and you're like, yes, okay, what do I need to bring back into my life that's really, you know, helpful and nourishing? And it also, I've worked with, everyone i worked with was like if a baby comes onto the screen and has to have a feed, like it was always very welcomed. (laughs) You know,
0: everyone else. Which, by the way, you are dealing with absolute chaos that will probably be edited out. Like you're looking at me while I'm looking down trying to feed this baby and you've managed to keep talking. So well done. (laughs) Well, this is literally my life, Liz. If I didn't didn't know how to do this, I think I'd be in trouble. (laughs) So then with that in mind, what are the postpartum conversations and perhaps even those return to paid work for the partner conversations that we should be
1: having with our partners? Mm -hmm. I am big on sharing, like becoming very aware of everything that it takes to run the household and the parenting and being very clear about, like, I, I feel like it's it's a bit of a process for me. Of like, oh, I carry that, like trimming the nails. That was something that I always found that I was conscious of, like when the nails needed to get trimmed. Such a little tiny thing, but not really when you get scratched and your boobs get macerated. <laughs> and there's a hundred of those examples too, right? Oh my God. That's the Every- whole point of it. yes. Yes. And again, this is a unique situation to Jack and I, I guess, but not as much. I think this is more and more, this is becoming more and more normal. But Jack and I now share, share the primary care role. So we are both 50-50 with the children through the, throughout the year. And so I, I can't even tell you, I've nearly nearly been brought to tears by like Jack thinking about going and buying new socks and undies for the kids when Rue's feet grew. That just shows how much I like just didn't even think that he would see that it's so you know and I'm like oh my god and noticing we were out of stuff and going it I know this sounds like I'm heroing him I'm not I do this all the time for Hayden on the podcast too
0: and I'm like it sounds like I'm bragging but I really just want to talk about the ways in which partners can be equal
1: yes and if there is a partner listening to this like these are the things that matter and you know and that's when he was out you know nine hours ten hours a day like with his travel like that really, I've never felt more disconnected to my partner than through that time. I felt like fully, you know, postpartum, that early postpartum was challenging. But that, like him gone that much of our family life, and he hated it too. So, the, you know, we changed our whole life after that because it was just awful. But these are, you know, sharing with him exactly like what goes on, how that, you know. And I also just had to like, there's actually some stuff I can't tell you because I don't even know that it's happening in my brain. I don't even realize it's part of my processing so him being the primary care there are all these things that he's picked up on that he now does That I'm like oh that's a really good way of doing that I wouldn't have even thought to do it that way that's really clever and you know he's he's kind of figured out the way he does things and I had to again let go of that perfect the way I thought it needed to be done and that has been so freeing again for our relationship and there's so much more trust there yeah that you've got this I don't have to Fix it all before I go. It's just
0: in and out. You really do. It's hard, but you need to loosen those reins for that to become 50-50, don't you? Like I needed to let go of a few things from those early days of my first postpartum where you do sort of do a lot of things fall on you and you don't mean for it to happen, but it does. Mm-hmm. It was letting go of those things and letting things get a little messy that would then make it and be like, oh, I got Raya hat or we're out of nappies. So I got the and I was like, oh, my God, we were, and I was going to get them, but I forgot yeah. because I had a baby with me all day. Yeah. And it makes the world of difference.
1: It does, and it really makes that teamwork feel like it strengthens your bond and makes you go, yeah, we're in this, you know, together. And Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it really does change the whole thing. It makes you feel seen and it
0: also makes you feel like, oh, you've got the same buy-in on this family that I do, whereas a lot of mums feel like they're buy-in is greater than the partners when they are partnered. Yes. So I think itemizing and coming back to actually an episode that I had with Penny Moody where she actually sat down with Hugh Van Kallenberg and went through those fair fair play cards that a lot of people have talked about is a great option here because that's really similar to how you've obviously approached it. So this is a listener question and it's an absolute beauty. How do we get or make our partners feel more involved? Ah,
1: I love this question. Coming off what we were just talking about, I think it's really important to note that as individuals, we bring different and wonderful things to the role of parent. We do not have to do the exact same thing at the exact same time and do the same role or job or or meet the same, you know, tasks at hand. Just like one maybe is breastfeeding, one maybe isn't breastfeeding, one maybe is really wonderful at a particular task around the house and one maybe that has no idea where to start with that. When we talk about valuing what we're bringing to the table or valuing our work, like that is for both partners. Both parents can be bringing in, you know, and this is in the scenario of, of their, that there are two parents or multiple carers for this child, is that they're, you know, acknowledging the roles, that the parts that they can do, the the tasks that they can do, and the other partner is acknowledging the bits that they can do and what they're really good at and really playing into our strengths. So I'll give you an example of my own life. When I first brought my son home, Jack was like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And he won't mind me telling the story. He tells it all the time. I can't breastfeed. So I just don't know how I can help you. He was in his like desperate. He was like, like the, he always had tears in his eyes. Like, like I don't know how to fix this for you. I want to make it better. And I was like, you can't be me. You can't be me. You have to be you. And he, it was like this light bulb in his head and he's like, oh. And so we went through like what? how can you support me to do what I'm doing and how do we make this work for both of us? And so I guess this question is speaking to also is like where's the buy-in <laughs> as well, maybe from the part, the other partner of like, oh, well, this is your role, you've got it. Yeah. And I very harshly disagree with that because I th- really do feel like it takes more than one person to raise and parent a child, more than two, more than three. You know, there is, you know, it really does take multiple people. And it doesn't mean every, you know, you've got 15 adults living in a house caring for a child, but it does mean that there's these trusted people that can come in and guide and nurture a child through their childhood. So a big one sitting down and acknowledging like what, you're sitting like what you plan on doing how you plan on entering this postpartum so whether or not that is planning on breastfeeding so if it is that means like your water bottle needs to be filled you need to be nourished with food you need to be able to like given the time and space to establish that breastfeeding make sure that everything's going really well stress is a huge no-no for breastfeeding so it is important that 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 you know the space is kept as calm as possible so really notice it like becoming aware and accountable of like what energy you're bringing into the space. These are such like tiny little details, but they do have a big impact on a postpartum. And so making your parent, I, I feel like it's big also to educate. So when you share all of this, then you connect to the why, then you can educate your partner also or just send them things that they can educate themselves with. I feel like giving that autonomy connects them to their why. I noticed that I was teaching Jack all these things, but then when I gave him books to read or things, he was coming back and teaching me things. And then I was like, oh, and then that grounded their knowledge and the why for him. And he was like, because they like that practical, the masculine energy often likes that very, like, I need to know, or depending on which way your brain works, sometimes you want the logic and the practicality to connect you to that why, where some of us are drawn to like just an intuitive pull or like, I just know this or, you know, whatever it is. So education is huge. That connects you to that why. And then when you're both connected to that why, that's when I think we see the most, um, compassion for one another sensitivity and gratitude for what each other are bringing to the role yeah and and that really does you know knock out resentment from at the knees and kind of gets that out of the way because resentment is not healthy on resentment's feel good. terrible
0: and it comes up I hate to say it but even in really good situations where you're really supported by your partner Gorgeous. so if we can Gorgeous. reduce it that is a great thing yes I love the tips you just gave. And I was even just thinking from a practical point of view, things that I guess Hayden helped with is like he could give a bottle at 5am. Yes. He could do the burping. So it might be that I'm the feeder, but he could do the burping. Other things he did for me, which might be helpful for this listener, is he would always bring me a coffee in the morning and a piece of toast. Or sometimes in this postpartum, that seeded loaf that you made me, which was <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> And it's just those little things. So it can either, either be the practical things that they can do with the baby, or it's the things that they do to help you continue doing what you do. So I think what you said there is just brilliant. My last question for you, La, is what you should and shouldn't do
1: if you're visiting a new parent. This is a juicy one. This is juicy. Firstly, before you go, you want to make, again, make it very flexible in your arrangements. If it's no longer a... Like appropriate please just let me know i'll be leaving probably an hour before i get to you because i've got to pick up something on my way so just if let me know if it doesn't suit or even if it's like I'm, I'm getting closer and it still doesn't suit just let me know no hard feelings there's plenty of time to meet this new beautiful baby um i do have some food so i'll drop that at the door blah 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 What? however your guys are working that visit Don't stay longer than an hour, hour and a half. I always feel like a cycle, a feed cycle is plenty. So usually the parent will, you know, think, oh, okay, depending on your closeness of your relationship, they'll be thinking about like, when do I want to feed? You know, I'll maybe have the baby fed and be sleeping when everyone arrives. They've kind of planned out your arrival time. So try not to be late as well. I think more than 15 minutes really does eat into a sleep feed cycle that most people like, if they're breastfeeding, they demand feeding within the first six weeks to four months, but some people are not. And so just being respectful of the time that they've given you. And it's really anxiety-inducing when people are late. Even if you have no other plans
0: that day, I don't know what it is. It's just doesn't feel right. doesn't yeah, feel good. Yeah, and
1: you're kind of on edge. You don't feel like you can soften into that slowness that you've probably been sitting in. Yeah, you've just
0: gotten off the bed to go to the couch. You've yeah, maybe moved your yeah. breastfeeding stuff out there. Yeah. And then you're
1: waiting. It's not a good feeling. It's not. It's very like, oh, it keeps you kind of in this heightened state of um, your nervous system a little bit heightened because you're anticipatory, like, you know, anticipating their visit or their arrival. And then, you know, making sure that what you, you know, you're healthy and well. You don't want to be taking any bugs to a a new family. Even if, you know, you're like, oh, I don't think it's anything serious. I'm always like of the belief, like, you have to give them the choice. They might be fine with a little sniffle coming through the door Or, you know, knowing that you had gastro a week ago, they might be like, yeah, that's fine. Like it's a week ago. Or they might be like, do you know what? We've just come off the back of something. I really don't need another one right now. I just need like easy breathing baby for a few nights. Like I can't risk it. And you have to be okay with that. Like that's just life and you've got to move, you know, really make that a big deal. It's not about you in this moment. Yes. It's really dropping that ego at the door. It's nothing personal. It's literally just about what's going to make the most sense to that family at that time. I would strongly suggest leaving any strong perfumes or scents or cigarette smells or anything like that to the wayside before you walk into a newborn's home. There is a, you know, scent connection between mother and baby that you do not want to interrupt that really helps with feeding and connection and their relationship. So we just absolutely know strong smells. I remember being really upset that my baby
0: Ray smelt of someone that left with heavy perfume that I smelt the second that they arrived. And it's probably one of those things that pre-motherhood I would have rolled my eyes and thought someone was a bit precious saying
1: that. But now that I've been through it, it does bad things to you. Yeah, it does. Pre-baby, I think you think, it can't be that bad. Like, how strong could the smell be? Like, once you experience pregnancy smell, like pregnancy Mm. nose, you'll understand the intensity of what all smells are like. And, you know, we're just heightened. We're in that very mammalian time of our life where we've never felt more animalistic. And so that scent is just, yeah, when it's not yours, it doesn't, it's foreign, it feels very strange and you immediately want. I've been at events where I've actually bought changes of clothes, like, and changed like my child and wiped them down because I I was starting to make me feel nauseous. Like I was like, this baby doesn't smell like my baby. I know. Which sounds again, so crazy, but it sent me mad inside. Like there was like a siren going off. That's all before you get there. (laughs) And then when you get there, respecting that time window, I said, like the hour to an hour and a half is plenty of time to have a check-in. I always am trying to use really low, calm voices and, and trying not to overpower the space with raucous laughter or, you know, bringing this heightened energy, you want to walk in and match the energy of the room rather than bring your own energy from outside because the outside world is busy, bustling, chaotic, you know, hustle and bustle. And then you don't want to bring that into the postpartum space because as we've already established, often that birthing person is already finding it incredibly hard to tap out of that hustle and bustle and slow down. There's already a lot going on for them that, you know, they're trying to unwind and unravel from to be able to be present and here with this baby So you bringing that in or too much information from the outside world can be a little bit disruptive as well. Your job is to come and bring oxytocin to the space, which is that, you know, happy love hormone you don't want to be taking from the space. So that might look like, you know, bringing a plate of food to share. Definitely don't go and expect to be weighted on hand and foot. If the birthing person is making you cups of tea and lunch and you're holding the baby, there is a problem here. Red flag. Red. Flag. That's a big noie. We don't <laughs> like it. No- no, we're anti that. We are anti yeah. that. Yeah. And even if you don't know where everything is, I know you laughed at me all the time because I would rarely ask you where things were. I would just keep opening drawers until I would find something. Which I so appreciated and it wouldn't have annoyed me. Oh, her baby,
0: just touch the mic. It wouldn't have annoyed me if you did ask me, but I really appreciated you not asking me because I think a lot of mothers are so used to someone asking them where things are. And it was so nice to just be like, oh, she found the food processor in the cupboard up the top. Yep. She found the stool with which to get the food processor. How did she know? <laughs> That's why I call you a fairy godmother yeah. slash real life angel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that they're just like little things, but they do make the world of difference. Like you actually point, you said to me, I noticed that you don't ask me where anything is. And I was like, yeah, because I'll find it. You know, like how many cupboards are there? Not that many. Like, I'll find the bloody teacups and I'll find the kettle and and you just do it. Honestly, I loved having visitors. I love people bringing their energy to the space. I love talking about my baby and sharing that joy with them. I loved it. And and that's not for everyone, but I guess I'm very social, come from a big family. It was just what felt really good to me. Especially yeah, the second that. time around, because you do have
0: the toddler and they need some friends, Stimulation. And they need some yeah. entertainment. And you're already. Sort of so deep in parenting a toddler that you're like, why shouldn't we have some friends over? That's how I felt, anyway. Yes, yes, yeah. yes.
1: And also, don't feel like you need to do a gift. Don't feel like that you that's needed. If you know the gift is feeling stressful, do the presence and the full like as in P R S E N C E, <laughs> presence. Like bring your full self to it and and really just show up for those people and and celebrate them in that moment. You know, I think food outweighed the gifts second time around. Tenfold. Oh like yeah! It, it was like, oh my god! You went to the cafe down my like the, my favorite cafe. I haven't been able to go there yet, and you know I have felt up for it. And you just went and got my favorite muffin and my coffee. Oh my god, heaven! It's little, but it means a lot. I couldn't agree more. And food's
0: expensive too. I think we put pressure even to buy a gift on top of food, which is so thoughtful. And people have done that for me, but food's expensive. If you're cooking me a meal, you have not only spent money, you've saved me money. And you've put time into it that I don't have to do or that my partner doesn't have to do. It's such a big gift, food. It's just I couldn't agree more. You do not need to stress about a present on top of that. I'd rather you
1: take that wet laundry out of the washing machine and hang it up for me. Totally. The other thing is if you're noticing that if there is an older child, if you come to a house and you notice that the older child is quite excited and really not really wanting to give your attention to anybody else but them, Give them that. They are also somebody who's going through a massive transition. Yes. They are also somebody in the house that is needing love and attention. Of course, the new parents deserve to be celebrated and and seen. It's like like we talked about that grief before. It, there's a lot happening for you watching your older child kind of process this new life that they're living. There. And I just remember how much it meant to me when someone was like, I'll I'll take root of the park for you. Like, yes. But, you know, you can't do that yet. I just want to go spend some time. And they would spend time acknowledging him being a big brother and just taking the time to see him in it all as well. That still bloody pricks my eyes with tears because that was like, thank you for seeing him in this because you're also adjusting to processing their thoughts, feelings, needs, which you have become very accustomed to for however old they are. And then you're dealing with this newborn baby and you do, you start to feel that torn very early and that integrates eventually, Yeah, but it you feel it and you can't help but think I'm taking from them. And so when somebody else says, Hey, I'm here, I'll help you with that. I'll play with them. I'll make them feel seen. Oh my God. Like that is... I couldn't agree more, especially in the early days
0: where you're literally a bit incapacitated because you can't physically give them what they want. Both sets of grandparents, this is a time where I'm not saying that they need a gift, but this is a time where I am a bit more pro-gifts as if you get, (laughs) even if it's a second-hand book, to give to the toddler. I made it very clear to both sets of grandparents to focus more of their energy on Ray when they came to meet the first few times when they came to meet Posey and they gave Ray little gifts and I'm not saying that you have to give little gifts but it definitely made him feel really happy and really seen and it gave him something to open and something for him to have a little bit of celebration over yeah so I could not agree more the attention to the toddler or the big kid is so important so Lard, now I'm becoming the interviewee and you're becoming the interviewer you're sort of like a Postpartum therapist, almost not officially. I'm not. I'm not going to breach any code of conduct by saying that you're a counselor or anything. But you sort of are my postpartum therapist, so you're becoming the interviewer now. So hit me with your questions.
1: You know me, Luce, Always have to go a little bit deeper than just the surface level questions. And I know you've spoken <laughs> I'm on, the, on witching out <laughs> on witching hour with laws about the differences of this postpartum and stuff. So I'm not going to focus too much on that. I'm actually going to ask you some of those bigger esoteric, like, you know, big questions that roll around our minds and brains when we're moving through postpartum and going through that integration. So I want to know what you have learned about yourself since becoming a mum of two.
0: I think what I've learned about myself, maybe not so much about myself specifically, but just about being alive without being too deep, is that nothing is stagnant. There was a lot of stuff that I assumed I knew about how I would move through this postpartum. I'm finding, not in a big dramatic way, but I'm finding moving from one to two kids in a logistical way far more challenging than I thought it would be. I haven't done many drop-offs for Ray's daycare still because Hayden is so thoughtful and if he's going past the house, he'll be like, hey, I can take him like this morning, for example. He was like, I actually have to go to the tip so I can take Ray on my way through. And I was like, awesome, I don't have to now navigate that. But I have found myself constantly surprised, probably in a way that I wasn't as surprised in my first postpartum. I've grown up around a lot of babies, so I feel like I went into my first postpartum a little bit nervous that I thought I knew more than I would. I'm not saying that I had it down pat in my first postpartum, But I think there were less surprises outside of the emotional. I think I dealt with the sort of logistical and just the practical very easily. And that's a lot of luck too, because breastfeeding wasn't a challenge and we weren't thrown any wild challenges. So the only thing that I guess sort of hit me square in the face the first time around is the emotions that come with becoming a mum. This time around, I knew to expect the emotions. I didn't know to expect to find
1: challenges in other ways. It's beautiful. I think that is to know and to meet some of life's truths in that. It's like nothing is permanent. And I mean, nothing feels less impermanent than a brand new baby and watching them grow seemingly seemingly in front of your eyes, you know? And I think you have a very grounded sense of how fast it goes when you have a second child, you're like, oh, oh yeah. I'm looking at my two-year-old, but like where did, how did we get there? You know? And then you, You want to savor it so much more because you really do know how fleeting it is, which is also leads me to this next question is what has been your kind of motto, this postpartum experience? Like, Have you had any phrases or things that have kind of just rolled around in your head that have kept you focused and present and compassionate towards yourself? Oh, that is a very good
0: question. I know in my first one, it was this too shall pass, which is so typical, but it really helped me because if there was a difficult night or if I was had that nighttime dread, which I did get pretty significantly with Ray. I was really scared of the nights for the first few weeks. Mm. So that was this too shall pass. I think this time around it's mostly turned into, and I think I'm learning it along the way, is to go slowly. And I guess that is with the hindsight of knowing how fast it moves. But I'll give you an example. And this is probably more practical than sort of philosophical, but... On my first morning, where I did have both kids, I was like, cool, we'll go out for coffee with all of our friends who also have toddlers and babies at this time at this cafe. We were half an hour late. Ray's energy wasn't even asking to go to a coffee shop that morning. I just thought I was doing the right thing by him because I didn't want to trap him inside all morning. And I think it taught me to go slowly and respond to the situation rather than try and make the perfect day for him. Okay. I think that go slowly idea has had a double meaning. It's to really drink in every moment with her because I know that in a minute she'll be 22 months old, like Ray. And it's also going slowly in my capacity to actually learn to parent two kids and not force things because I think I'm doing the right thing by Ray. Because I think when you do have that second child, you're so worried about doing the right thing by your eldest. But I think manufacturing a week, a day ahead doesn't always work. So you just have to take it take it literally moment by moment. Cancel all plans for that day if it's not right for the toddler. And don't force yourself to craft these perfect mornings just because the sun's out and because you have a busy toddler. Sometimes they don't need that. They just want to be in their their garden with you and the baby. So
1: I'm going to say that my motto is go slowly. I love that. On that, another motto that I loved was parent the child in front of you, not the one you think you're going to have. And that means going to have in an hour, going to have in a week's time, like parent what's in front of you. That's such a good one. And I loved it because it really has helped me to morph and evolve with my children as well. Like what worked six months ago no longer works for the child that's in front of me right now. And it really gave me and them permission to continue growing and evolving and being agile with you know in my parenting skills and you know continue learning and and really responding rather than reacting or rather than pre-planning and constructing yes yeah and that is such a good one yeah and I just feel like it speaks so beautifully to what you just said and I love that and and going slow is not the easiest thing in our world to do so I think that's a beautiful reminder gonna do a little 360 here now because you've obviously had a son and now you have a daughter and this is I guess a big question and I, and I haven't given you much pre-thought or any pre-thought on how to answer this but I feel like you and I are just both very fierce feminists and and I know that I really felt this new flame and fire within me when I had a daughter. It grounded a lot of the things that I believed and a lot of the a lot of my why why I show up in the work and the way in the world that the way that I do. So how has having a daughter impacted your commitment to your work and your mission within Ready or Not, but also within the world as a woman?
0: That's really interesting that you say that because last postpartum, I took like a traditional 12 months off, which was made possible by a good mat leave policy where I worked and then the government leave. So it was really tools down until I started working on Ready or Not at about seven months postpartum. But before that, it was just mothering. That's all I was doing. This time around, I did as much pre-planning as I could with Ready or Not, but I have had to stay somewhat tapped into work. And I keep having these moments of like, is this right? Like I'm not doing much, but I'm like, is this right what I'm doing? That I'm doing about five hours of work a week when I'm deep in the early days of postpartum. And then I just keep remembering that I love what I do so much and I care so much about sharing these stories, which ultimately will impact the future of POSI and Ray. Hopefully it helps Ray to actually lose some of those gender stereotypes too that are put on males so that he can, depending on, you know, where his love lies, what person he wants to be with, all of those things. I won't make that up for him now, but this work has become more important and it does remind me of why it's important for me to keep it going, even though I am in the early postpartum, because I think these conversations do have the power to shape the future and shape the future conversations that happen for kids like ray and Posey. so i think that's probably the first reflection on having a daughter the second thing that i think has come up a lot for me lately and probably started in pregnancy and when i interviewed casey edwards who wrote raising girls who like themselves uh-huh. a lot of those messages have become so relevant and something i've become really interested in is how obsessed we are with looks and with telling a new mum that she looks great and looks well. And even though she's not getting much sleep, she looks well. So it's not so much a finished thought. I'm just very aware of the way we have so much agency of talking about the way people look. And I really wanna change that narrative. And I even noticed myself doing it because it's so ingrained in us, telling people they look beautiful. What's that foundation they have on their face that looks so good, all of that stuff. And I'm really interested in the why of Why we think it's okay to focus on our appearance and what does that say about us that appearance still seems to be so important to us and i do think that's definitely heightened since having posy too because i was quite lucky as a kid in that i don't think i struggled too much with appearance related things eating disorders weren't sort of a prominent thing in my life all of that sort of stuff so i think in a way I'm like, oh, well, Posey will be the same, but that's not necessarily true. So being aware of these things that might come up and starting to question why and hopefully changing that narrative too has become, I guess, important as well. I feel like I'm talking in riddles. Hope that makes
1: sense. It absolutely (laughs) does. You really, I've noticed that even though there's a lot of equality within our household and even, I guess, what's being shown to our children is that there's, the, the gender norms don't really exist in our family. There's a lot of like, stuff that we kind of buck the trends of. And, but I still notice that there's some things that are the way that the world speaks to our children is very different and really, you know, trying to be conscious and aware of that. Yeah. Honey's appearance does not matter more or need require more attention than Rupert's does and, and, and really trying to hone that in. But I do notice how honey gets spoken to versus Rupert sometimes.
0: And it starts in the womb. Oh, apparently.
1: It starts with when we're pregnant, the way the way that people speak to a baby based on their gender. I believe that. So you have done such an incredible job over this last five and a half weeks, you know, working that five hours a week, calling in the support you need, have needed, really being so clear and conscious with, along with Hayden, in, in how you want to have wanted to show up in this postpartum as a family, you know, considering Ray, all of the things, but I think it's pretty fair to say that as as parents, we are looking to the future and we're thinking about how the change, you know, how we're going to evolve and how we're going to look to that next step. And I'm big on staying present and and like I said, parenting that child in front of you. But I just wanted to know on a personal note, like how are you feeling about the next few months as your family grows and evolves and changes again?
0: I think the newborn phase, which this time around has been proved to me, is not a phase that I find particularly difficult. Again, there's a lot of luck that is associated with that because I know that that's not everyone's experience and it has nothing to do with the way that they've approached it. It's just circumstantial to do with feeding, to do with illness, to do with other things. Mm. But I've been quite lucky in that regard. I'm nervous about around the six-month mark because that's six to nine months, I think, with Ray was when I struggled a bit more, when frustrations crept up, when I probably started to want some space where I found him difficult in the sense that, not him personally, but that age difficult in the sense that they are on the move more, but they still don't really know what they want or how to navigate the world at all. They're still babies, but they're babies on the move. And so to be frank, I'm nervous about logistically what it will look like to parent two kids in that phase of Posey's life. Mm -hmm. One other thing that I'm really thinking of at the moment is And this could just be the phase that I'm in hormonally and in the postpartum, but I'm thinking a lot about what I want my life to look like. I really want to be there for my kids. I don't want to work more than I have to. I really want Ready or Not to become a profitable, well, not not profitable, but I want it to pay me enough that I don't need to do outside work. And so I'm starting to think about a lot of those sorts of things. How do I make that happen? I want to work, yes, but I don't want it to be my whole life because I do know how fleeting this time is of little kids. Yeah. So that's sort of when I'm future focusing, it's partly that fear based of how am I going to navigate those six to nine months of Posey's life? And I know I'll get through them, but it'll be interesting to see how. And secondly, it's finding that right balance of paid work, family life, having enough money to get into the caravan and go on adventures, but also dealing with the cost of living. They're all the things that are ruminating in my mind, trying to build the life that we want. Can Hayden go down to four days of paid work at some stage of his life? Would my paid work enable him to do that? Mm -hmm. They're the questions and plans I guess I'm starting to ponder. A hundred
1: percent. I don't think you're alone in that thought. And I think this is where, you know, you do feel the changes I wonder if you before having kids would have ever thought that's what you would have wanted and and this is the kind of things that these things that would be important to you. But I think sometimes we surprise ourselves and and we don't leave enough room on the other side of having one, two, three kids to kind of go, I've changed. Yeah. I don't want that anymore and this is what I want now. And that's, again, very freeing when you go, okay, I can let go of those old ideals, those old goals, old, old values. And replace them with the ones that are current and real and true for me now. And yeah, I love that. I love that you just shared what's kind of rolling around your head because it's very real. That does, we do start thinking for forward planning. I've been like, I don't want to jump out of this and jump into like a different gear that doesn't feel aligned or real for me anymore. You've actually just brought up the last
0: question I wanted to ask you. (laughs) Yes, because I forgot to write it down, but I've just remembered it and you've just basically said it out loud. So for me, I, especially in that first postpartum, which was very black and white in that mat leave was this period and the return to work was here. This is more gray because I have sort of kept up some work on the way through. But for those people in that more black and white space that are really enjoying their postpartum, enjoying their parental leave and know that there's this date blooming of returning to paid work. How do you think we keep some of those rituals and some of those feelings that we, I guess, cultivate in the postpartum and keep them in our lives, even when they get busier and things
1: return to, I guess, what we'd call normal life, but now with kids in tow? I love this question. And I am always seeking ways in which to cultivate and, and keep this, you know, these practices and these, you know, in, in the postpartum, we call them like the postpartum pillars, the things that kind of hold up the, you know, to keep someone completely supported and nourished on every level. I often at the end of my postpartum packages, I did this through winter last year. And and yeah, it, it it's something that I like to encourage people to do is I would gift a, a pair of socks and I call them the postpartum sock. And now a pair of woolen socks. And the idea was when you feel like you need to go back into the postpartum bubble, you put the socks on and it's kind of like a sign to the rest of the family that it's postpartum time. You cancel plans. Maybe you don't send the kids to care or school. You literally just go, we're bunkering down for the day. We're putting the slow cooker on. We're, you know, putting on trashy TV and we're just revisiting all of the way, like to, to just put back in for a bit. You have rocked my world with that, the <laughs> postpartum socks. That's brilliant. Because, you know, you know, postpartum is based on warmth and nourishment and kind of keeping the heat within the body to recover. And I think we forget how much we're leaking energy sometimes, just bleeding energy out sometimes, of, you know, as, as parents. And so, yeah, this, it's such a tiny little act, but everyone in the family is to know that the postpartum sock needs to go on and you need to retreat and take care of yourself and really just put back in. This can happen when your youngest child starts school, right? The first couple of weeks are big for, you know, families when their baby starts school. I think I may have mentioned on this when I first was interviewed with you, but... Postpartum depression is most likely to occur when the youngest child is four and a half to five years old, which is when they start school. So because and when you think about it, it makes so much sense. All of a sudden, this this parent hasn't had any time for themselves. Their final child goes off to school and it all hits them what they've just been keeping at bay. And my philosophy is like, let's not keep things at bay for it to get so bad that that's what happens. You know, let's put things in place to help support us. And that's why stopping in postpartum is such a gift. This is why you, it's, an, it's an investment in your long term health. And so this idea that we don't wait till it's, you know, we're gushing, you know, we're hemorrhaging kind of energy and our health and it's all just going down the drain. Let's put the socks on. Let's take a minute. Let's just take a beat. Sometimes it's from when the kids are sick and it's just like relentless sickness. And you're like, you know what? We're just going postpartum for a week because technically you are still postpartum. (laughs) Postpartum is from any time you postpartum is forever. It's from any time you've had a child. And it's just about revisiting those practices, calling that back in, that slowness, that presence, and really just drinking. I feel like we actually need a, it's become very, a bit more common now to have that first six weeks, but I think at eight months, you know, six to eight months, you need a second postpartum when the doula comes again and helps you integrate that next season. Like I think you're not alone in saying that time is, that window of time is really tricky. That's the time I found very tricky solids start to come into play babies not eating you know just on the boob all the time they're sitting up they're crawling they're talking they're crying more trying foods you're watching for allergies all these kinds of things are interplaying and then you know older child's grown up maybe another child child might be starting school there's so many different transitions and life seasons starting for them as well I that, that's my little tip I love that I love that it's physical and
0: philosophical like I think for us western minded people even if we try and be a bit more eastern in our philosophies it's nice to have a physical reminder of a philosophical approach that's beautiful yeah use that you (laughs) are a magic magical person (laughs) i miss you already
1: I miss I'm you are going to have to find too. another
0: reason. Actually, we're just friends. I'm going to take yeah. you out. Actually, I <laughs> want to take you out for a cocktail to say thanks for looking out to me. <laughs> Sign me uh, up, So best. that's what Sign we're going up. to be doing soon, please. Wait. <laughs> uh, but this has been really enlightening. It really has been like a mini therapy session. Uh-huh. I think you've shared a lot of great advice with everyone. And if people who are listening haven't listened to our original interview because it was one of the
1: first, where can people find you on Instagram and online? Oh, thank you, Luce. My little handle is the Living Dooler and my name is Charlotte Squires, even though Luce has called me La. Oh, that's yes. my, my child char- <laughs> as you probably heard my childhood nickname. But yeah, you can email me at hello at thelivingdooler.com and we can start a conversation there. But it's um pretty easy to find me and I'd be very happy for you to come find me and have a little chat. <laughs> thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to Ready or Not. If you liked the show, please tell your friends, subscribe or write a review. You can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.